to all of you that are watching and listening. Uh, welcome to another wonderful episode of Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose with Patty. And as you know, I am Patty Stulen, the Chief Pathfinder of Pathways with Patty. And once again, I'm telling you, I do definitely live a very blessed life because the people that I have been able to interview on this podcast have just been absolutely magnificent. And the thing that is really great is the people that I have already interviewed up to this point, they are now recommending to me other people that would be perfect to be guests on this podcast. And so uh, my very first podcast guest was Brenda Susie. And Brenda was one of them that told me, oh my gosh, I've got the perfect guest for you for your podcast. Is she, you know, her stories go right along with rediscovering your passion and purpose. And uh, so I have heard many stories about this guest. And once again, she is not going to disappoint with what she shares with us today about living her purpose and her pa with passion, I should say. Uh, it is Fran Hanover. And the thing is, she is an incredible artist. I have seen some videos and things uh, on social media of her incredible artwork that she does. So that's what she calls herself first and foremost is an artist. She is also an economic development officer, which she has told me is like the complete opposite of being an artist. But I think that's kind of, kind of like the yin and yang. And that's one of the things that makes life special. But more importantly, she calls herself a, a, a noisy adventure seeker. And <laughs> adventure is the stories that I have heard so far. That really, I think that really defines it. So Fran, welcome to Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose. It is a thrill to have you here today. Thank you, Patty. It's, well, uh, <laughs> I was kind of uh, surprised when Brenda told me about this. So it's great. Thank you. <laughs> Well, first of all, I know that we just discussed briefly, but please explain about your background because it is ab absolutely gorgeous. I love the colors in it. I, I just, I know it tells a story. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about what is in your background? Sure. Uh, the, uh, this is a piano that was rescued from almost being thrown in a dump. It's about a hundred years old. Oh my gosh. And yeah, when it was uh, when we put it in the living room, I thought it just looked like a big brown brick and I thought it was kind of boring. So I thought, I'm just going to paint it. So it's, it's the, my African dancing women. Oh, it's so, it's, it is just gorgeous. <laughs> now, how, how long did it take you to do that? Uh, it took a couple of weeks um, because the paint that I used, I had to make sure I was using like a gel mm -hmm. paint so I didn't make the wood too heavy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah a couple, I'd, I'd say about a good two weeks and then yeah. tell about the uh the banner on the wall behind you the story that, on that the large canvas behind me is by a an artist named John Weiss who was a school teacher for many years he taught art he was originally from Toronto actually also um originally from Germany but uh oh. um 
grew up in Toronto, went to school at OCAD and then, which is Ontario College of Art, and then came to North Bay where, where I met him, um, who lived uh, his total truth. He was, um, he, he came out in the, I guess it would have been in the 60s, the 50s or 60s, when it was still illegal to um, be in, a, in gay establishments and that sort of oh, wow. sort of thing and and uh, just very honest guy and and lived the way he wanted to live his life and painted with passion and uh, he really kind of set me back on my my path of being a painter again wow well um, it is absolutely gorgeous and and you said something about they were going to, were they going to throw him away or they were just going to put him uh, away yes. someplace? His name was, I don't know if I said, mentioned his name. His name was John Weiss and he had passed away. He'd had, um, this is the sort of uh, tragic part is he worked until he managed to get early retirement at 55. He thought, now I'm really going to live my life. And within uh, three years, the early onset of a frontal lobe dementia Oh, and uh, he was a downward slope very, very quickly. So be, I don't even think he saw his 65th birthday. Oh, and he, he passed away and um, the, he had many, many large pieces and uh, he liked to work on drop cloths was his, was his canvas of choice. And uh, the friends and, and acquaintances, they said, yeah, we're just going to roll them all up and store them away somewhere and I thought oh my gosh nobody's ever going to see them again so I asked for one that I had watched him paint which is the one behind me I would go to his house and watch him work away and and take him on his paint trip so you know I need more white and I need more black and so <laughs> it's nice to have a piece that I was witness to him creating so well, I'll tell you, those of you that are listening right now, you are definitely going to want to check out my YouTube channel where you'll be able to visually see this podcast happening. So that way you can see what, what Fran has just described, because it is absolutely gorgeous. I love it. So Fran, let's get into your story. I know that Brenda shared little pieces of your story with me, but it's always more important to hear the story come right from you. So wherever you want to start your, uh, telling us about your journey, go for it. Oh, okay. Um, I was adopted at, uh, I think I was maybe a week old, week or two. So I was told. But I think the whole story is interesting because I'm going to tell the story of what I was told, and then mm -hmm. I'm going to tell the actual, the truth after. Mm -hmm. So um, I was adopted by a German couple. They were immigrants uh, from Germany. They came over in about 1957, around that time. And uh, my adoptive mother, Erica, was a foster mom when she came to Canada. She used to be an, a when she was in Germany and just had this magical way with with babies and children's aid at the time they said you know what you're very good with with children and she ended up um, they always would bring her the babies that had different chronic illnesses or maybe they were FAS babies or um, so she would look after them for six months to a year and then the and it was 
very prevalent that um, that there were many, many babies up for foster care and adoption in, in the 60s. So when Children's Aid had um, received a notice of a pending adoption, they would come to her house and, you know, there'd be a knock on the door. My mother would be prepared. And she had this sort of agreement with my older adoptive sister, who is actually 17 years older than me. Oh, wow. stayed in another room she'd be in the in the um, bedroom and because it was so emotional for her and so after baby I think it was baby 11 oh my gosh <laughs> she said I can't do this anymore and the next one that arrives at the door is the one we're keeping so it was just like a lottery <laughs> and uh, so imagine this blonde-haired blue-eyed German family <laughs> they're expecting more blonde haired blue eyed children I don't know it's <laughs> oh, and they showed up with me and she thought, oh <laughs> what are we gonna do and uh, so she called my father at work he worked at a plant in Toronto at the time it was called Mintex um, it doesn't exist anymore but uh, he she called him at at work and she said Hans we have a problem the baby is not what we ordered <laughs> So that's what they tell me. <laughs> anyway, so there were some challenges there growing up. I mean, uh, it was imagine 1966 and having uh, what appears to be a mixed race or a brown skinned child in a white family. And mm -hmm. she was subject to a lot of ridicule when she would take me out places or my sister would take me out with her to a mall or shopping. And, and because my sister was, you know, she'd be 17, 18 years old mm -hmm. at the time. And, and, uh, and they would say, Oh, look at that poor young girl with the little colored child. And isn't it, uh, isn't it just as automatic assumptions, right? So um, from there, this was in Downsview, uh, and then my parents had decided they wanted to move to Oakville. And so they, um, they kind of pushed the process ahead a little faster for me because, because they'd only had me for a few months, but then the sale of the house happened and they were purchasing another one. They weren't technically allowed to leave Downsview with me because the adoption was not final. So they mm. had to do an awful lot of um, paper handling and going to, um, let's see uh, justice of the peace to get things processed quickly and we moved to Oakville and so I, I grew up in this very staunchly German speaking European family you know Christmas was celebrated Christmas Eve we didn't speak English at home Ooh. so yeah so I remember um, my going to kindergarten in Oakville and fumbling along trying to get words out of my mouth and so you were speaking German then yeah I was literally raised with German was my first language wow as a result and you you learn to speak English quickly when you suddenly you have a day at school and you have to throw up and you don't know how to say it in English <laughs> so see these little little lessons in life of oh that's the word for it <laughs> You know, I just kept saying, Ishmael's kids and Ishmael's kids, and I have to, I have to, I have to puke. I have to. 
And the teacher's going, I don't know what she's saying <laughs> until I did it. And then she knew. And she knew. <laughs> she's like, why did you throw up? Oh, oh that's what, oh, okay. I oh. get it now. Uh. You know, so then we, when I was eight or nine, we, my parents wanted to buy a home in Northern Ontario. So they decided to move to Powassan. Of course, my parents had a very thick accent. They were very uh, attached to their native country, you know, longing for some connection with other German speaking people. So they chose Powassan, Ontario, which is three and a half hours north of Toronto, based on names they saw in the phone book, because there were a lot of German settlers here. So she goes, yeah, they, phone book. <laughs> they're going to Powassan, there are Germans there. They are going. And uh, she, so when I told my teacher, I said, this is how influenced I was by my parents' accent. I told my teacher, I'm moving to Pavasan. <laughs> we are moving to Pavasan. And the teacher kept correcting me and said, no, you're moving to Pavasan. Nine, nine, my mother said Pavasan. <laughs> so I carried on this accent till I was probably 10 or 11, because I didn't know. When we got to this area, and my mother was so disappointed because she didn't realize the German community members here were actually third generation mm. or fourth generation. They came over in the 1800s. Mm -hmm. And uh, so nobody spoke German. No. Here. Like, yeah, now what? So <laughs> there was one day I, I asked her, because I, I was always getting picked on as a, as a kid. And, you know, the, the race thing was always a heavy duty issue because, you know, in the, the 60s, they were still going through um, trying to uh, eliminate segregation in schools and mm -hmm. you know, Little Rock Nine stuff happened in Arkansas. So, you know, I was growing up right on that, that cusp. And I said to my mother one day, I said, how come... I am brown and Gudrun and Bernhard and Andreas, that was their name, they don't look anything like me. They're all blonde hair and blue eyed. Why don't I look like them? So and was it just like one day a light bulb went off on your head, yeah. in your head, and yeah. you realized? <laughs> this is very odd. <laughs> Nobody else is getting picked on in this household. <laughs> oh, just well, me. Just me. So she was very matter of fact, she said, uh, because uh, you are adopted. And then she explained what it meant. And it didn't quite register with me. I just took it as she picked me up in a grocery store, <laughs> brought me home. <laughs> you were the special of the day. Because <laughs> you know, you know, you ever hear that story when they talk about children who are adopted and they say, we chose you because you were special. I looked at it like, I was a head of lettuce <laughs> and she brought me home and I thought, could you let a brown skin family take? <laughs> so I just thought, oh, okay, well, that's how it goes. That's how it goes. And I didn't care. It just, she told me when I was young enough that it didn't upset me or impact me in any way. I just carried on. And when people asked that question, they said, I just said, well, I'm adopted because I was a very special head of lettuce in the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when, when friends would come over, it was very confusing for them because they think they're going to come home and see a parents that look like me. And, uh, 
And instead they're greeted with, especially up here, my, my mother looked like Eva Gabor. Do you oh, yes. And you know, remember Green Acres? Did you oh, remember? yes. I watched it faithfully. Well, that was our household almost when we moved north because we moved to a farm. My parents had never lived on a farm. Uh, they literally were city slickers trying to make a go of it. Oh, and gosh. yeah, and my mother still had her, her, wore her dresses with her matching handbags with the matching shoes and the. So you were living out the real green acres. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And she was longing for the city, I'm sure. But my friends would come over and they would see this blonde haired blue eyed woman and go, oh, what's going on? I said, oh, that's my mother. And my mother would start nattering away at me in German. She didn't speak English at home very much. She could speak English. She chose not to. Mm-hmm. And so she would say something to the effect of, Francis, come rein, willst du was zu essen? Du kriegst einen Kuchen und ein Glas Milch und dann kannst du rausgehen und wieder spielen. And my friends would start to cry. I go, what's the matter? Your mom is so angry. What did we do? I said, she just wanted to know if you'd want a piece of cake and some milk and go outside and play. <laughs> so, it's the way she was presenting it. They hadn't heard that, right? That tone. <laughs> you're like, you're like, it's so confusing in your house. Nothing fits. <laughs> so so uh, I, I ended up turning all these experiences into little comedy routines because I, when I, um, in my 40s, yeah, in my 40s, I say I started trying out uh, stand-up. I thought, oh, my gosh. Looks fun. And they always say, use your life experiences. So exactly. So I I used to tell people, uh, yeah, my parents came to Canada in a (laughs) U-boat. Oh, it's just horrible. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah, so growing up, I would ask my mom questions about her life in Germany and get all kinds of information of who the different relatives were always went through her photo albums you know asking who's this aunt who's this uncle I did go to Germany with her once yeah did I go once or twice I can't remember I was once yeah and um she said one day you know don't you want to find out who your biological family is and I said no no this is all I've known why why bother mm-hmm. and then um a number of years later, she passed away. She was 61. So it would have been 1989, I believe she died. She passed away. She had a heart attack. Mm. And uh, so then the question starts to niggle a little bit in my mind. But my father was still living. I thought, no, I can't. I can't do this to him. And he uh, passed away 11 years later. Uh, he ended up with... Uh, getting colon cancer mm. and his the, all his siblings have had had cancer wow. so word to the wise if it runs in the family go and get checked mm-hmm. anyway um so I thought after he passed away I thought okay maybe now I can look and so I asked uh I talked to a close friend of theirs who's also German I said I think I'm gonna do the search and and she said, well, no, you can't. I said, why? She goes, there's no record of your history because you were actually abandoned. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they found you. They said the story was that I was found in a rooming house or something. And 
yeah, that I was an abandoned child and that she would never be able to track down my family. So that was a shock. Yeah. And uh, I guess a few years later, my son, um, I had a son when I was 19, a few years later after my father passed, he passed away in 99. So 2003, my son ended up getting um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh my goodness. So he was going through uh, a series of chemo treatments. He was 17, 18 years old. And he was getting quite ill. And we were starting to, we, me, me, myself, and I, because we were a solo unit, um, wondering if we were going to have to look for a, um, what do you call it, the, the bone marrow donor. Uh-oh. Yes. So I brought up the question again with um, some, the, 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 the friend of my my uh, parents and she's that's she said yeah no it's not you're not going to be able to do anything and your your father just didn't want you to know this he didn't want you to be upset so then I asked my sister about it um and she confirmed and said the same thing yeah you were you were abandoned there's there's no way you're going to find any information so we kind of we got through everything. We didn't, uh, my son didn't have to get a bone marrow transplant as it, as it turned out, thank goodness. But, um, you know, a few more years go by, I sort of let it all go and just said, oh, forget it. It's never gonna, never gonna happen. And then along comes ancestry DNA. Yes. Dun, and dun, dun. that curiosity that kills the cat, right? It's mm-hmm. a Pandora's box. Yep. And uh, I thought, should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? And there was a company that I was working for. The head office was in Toronto and I was working remotely here in North Bank. But there was a lady that I had become um, good friends with who worked at the head office. And she would tell me about her background. She was originally from Guyana. And, you know, and talk about the importance of family. And she said, you know, it's probably time you start doing the search go and find out who your who your parents are mm-hmm. um okay so i sent in the i paid the money i got the kit i spit in the tube now one of my biggest aversions is uh, saliva like seeing people <laughs> it makes it so to have to spit repeatedly into this tube and watch it fill up i was doing a little dry <laughs> You were back to the vomit thing earlier in your life. It's a escape mission. So, <laughs> so uh, I sent it off and uh, you get a little registration number and it, it alerts you via an email when your kit is complete. And I didn't realize how that whole system worked. It goes off to Ireland. To oh allow. my gosh, really? It goes to Ireland. You have an ID code that your kit is associated with and you log into ancestry.com or .ca and um, you're and when your kit is when they finish doing whatever it is they do uh, you heard that your results are in and so I'm going to just back up the story just a little bit so during the time that my son was ill I, I was a single parent and I was not able to go to work and I didn't have any benefits. I just, I was really in a black hole of 
no money and what am I going to do? So um, I started creating these little greeting cards of African dancing ladies. And I just, you know, made a couple and I put them at a friend's restaurant shop and she called the next day. She says, I need more. I just brought you four. She goes, I need about 40. Because they just called on. So I started selling, I started making more of them and I started coming up with this conveyor belt method of how I was making these 3D greeting cards that made little scraps of paper and jewelry. Yeah. And Now, did you, did you know from an early age that you had artistic ability? Uh, I did, um, but I never looked at it as something that I would be selling anything. I guess I just didn't have that belief mechanism in me. It- it was just basically for your own pleasure and enjoyment. Yeah. My sister got me my first art kit when I was nine. She got me, a, imagine giving an, a nine-year-old an oil painting kit. Oh. And a book. That could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I started. But um, yeah, so uh, when my son was, was sick and I'm trying to come up with ways to make some cash on the side, I just happened across the greeting card idea. And so then I was asked, well, can you do maybe a painting? Oh, that's where John Weiss, who, the fellow who did the painting behind me, said, get some paint out and do a painting. Just throw some paint on the canvas. And so I got really into doing really colorful stuff. But my subject matter was always this African woman type of theme. And I ended up getting a membership at a gallery and then I was part of a group exhibit. Like it just sort of blossomed from there, mm-hmm. out of, oddly out of financial desperation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but then somebody said something to me, and this was before I did the ancestry kit. And they said, you know, aren't you concerned that you could be doing uh, ethnic appropriation? I said, what are you mm-hmm. talking? They said, well, you know, you're painting black people should you really be doing that and I said I don't don't get it so if I were white I could only paint white people and only black people can paint black people and so what is going on so that's when this whole appropriation conversation really started to um, start to rear its head in in society and I thought no I'm pretty sure I'm I'm a person of color, I can do this. Well, you know, we don't think we don't think it's a good idea. I have my membership card. Look, yeah. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> like I have a pretty good feeling that this is what I can do it. And it was a lot of uh, pushback from different different people. Wow. So when I did the ancestry kit, I kind of went, "Ta da! Look, it's <laughs> my family is from Africa." <laughs> It's official. Yeah. I have papers. I can wear it as an ID badge in my wallet now. <laughs> I'm in good standing. <laughs> am, I allowed, am I allowed to paint this now? Okay. Oh well, my goodness. So silly, right? So, so then um, I thought, okay, so this is my background. So there, there is some uh, oddly, there's some Irish and Scottish there too, but. Ooh predominantly it's uh it showed what like the west african countries Mm -hmm. and that most of the family members had migrated down through um virginia alabama louisiana that area it shows you the does it maps it all out it's kind of cool it's amazing yeah so 
Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> so, haha, Neener. So, I'm looking through the list of which shows who these are all your connections. Like, isn't this fascinating? Does anybody look like me? Because that's one of the things you always do. You go, well, as an adopted kid, you go, to look in the mirror. At least I did. I'd always look in the mirror and go, do I look like my mom? Do I look like my dad? Is she. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they're not going to bump into her and, you know, she's going to be a doppelganger or what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So the, I was doing the same thing on the ancestry thing, but it only tells you if you, if it's a person's a cousin, you know, fourth, oh. fifth or third or first. And I didn't really understand the measurement system with their centimorgans and stuff. So there was a lady who explained it to me how it worked and there was a woman who contacted me and said uh, you you and I seem to share some similar uh, backgrounds um could would you care to share that was our line that we learned to wouldn't say hey I'm adopted are you my daddy who <laughs> 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 just say it looks like we share some uh, some connection would you care to share a bit about your background and you know mm-hmm and stuff it'd be really interesting you kind of so I'm looking at it and I I read the numbers on her centimorgan count and then I emailed Angela Tremel who um, is works with Kinfinder in the U.S. so what does this mean she goes well she's not your cousin she's your sister oh my gosh and I, I just about you know my jaw just hit the yes now she's probably a half sister but she's definitely a sister based on these Winter Morgan counts so I connected with this person on ancestry DNA on my uh, list and we started talking we didn't go on zoom or anything or facetime right away we were both a bit in shock Mm -hmm. she was also adopted she was adopted out of the same hospital wow yeah, we were, we were about a year and a half apart in age. And she went to Port Stanley, Port Sydney, Port Stanley. She older or younger? She's younger. So I went to Oakville and she went to a home just further down the highway, basically. In oh my gosh. Two different families. And uh, so eventually we finally FaceTime and we just about dropped looking at each other because we look so much alike really we laugh alike and we sound alike and we have a lot of the same habits and so for example I'm a I'm a journalism major and Mm -hmm. with like an arts minor I've always been an artist but I went to school for journalism she is an English major with an arts minor oh man we didn't grow up together see stuff like that that's more than just coincidence I mean there's there's something um, wow yeah so then another gentleman (laughs) messaged me and said hey uh we seem to have a lot of members in common (laughs) oh my gosh share and I look at his center Morgan thing and I went no uh so I found a brother oh man so we connected right away but he's more um 
he's more adventurous. He just FaceTime right and looked at me and started yelling and said to people in the room. And he said, we found her, we found her. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, you are Ernestine's daughter. And he named who the, our mother was. And, and uh, he said, now, was he older or younger? He's also younger, but apparently there were rumors in the family for years that there was a child given up for adoption. So, so uh, he proceeds to explain to me what um, had happened when they were younger and just based on what his family had explained to him. And he said, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to meet your mom. She died in 1991, I think it was. Mm -hmm. at, uh, she was 50 and I was 51 at the time when we all connected. And he said she died in her sleep. She had a brain aneurysm. So after me going through my entire life with no concrete medical history, because they didn't share that information when they um, gave up babies for adoption, I went to my doctor and said, well, this is what I found out. <laughs> I guess there's cardiovascular stuff in our family. So she sent me for a CT scan right away. And she called me a week and a half, two weeks later and said, you might want to sit down. <laughs> no. Yeah. They had spotted a aneurysm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So had I not gone through the ancestry DNA process, I would never have known. So I was whoever your guardian angel or your yeah. spirit guides or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. I mean, you are being watched over. Yeah. Yeah. So I went, uh, I'm one of the few um, that has managed to go through the surgery of getting a stent where it's just a preventative to deflate it rather than trying to go in after the fact. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so it was the neuro, the neurosurgeon said, you're kind of famous in this wing. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't happen. So I'm part of a, a, a study at university, uh, Toronto University Hospital. I think not Toronto. Yeah. Whatever the, whatever it's down there anyway. Wow. And uh, because that's a way for them to figure out how can they spot it in the future before it ruptures. So, mm -hmm. so I had that done and then we had a big reunion down in Buffalo. My, it turns out my mother was American. She was from Buffalo and she had a few children. And she would come to Canada frequently and well, whatever the story was in the 60s. It was the 60s. Right? Mm -hmm. so, free, free love, free expression, <laughs> free. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we had a reunion and what we did, because so many people seemed to be excited to find out about Candace. And I, yeah, it was the other thing I said to Demetrius. Well, you didn't find just me. There's one more here in Canada. So... Um, now, had they been, had, had your siblings, did you find it, were they half siblings or were they full? They're all half. And were they raised in African families or white families or? Raised in, in black, in a black household. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, we went down there and, and we met at a hotel first and they said, we have decided what we're going to do is each sibling one at a time is going to come in and meet you. We don't want everybody showing up 
at once and it being just chaos because there are seven of us. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, so Candace and I, the one who's, who's also from Canada the, that was given up for adoption, the others were not given up for adoption. They all grew up together. Mm. <clears throat> so, um, so Candace and I waited and one person would come in and do the, holy cow, you guys really look like Ernestine, which is the mom. And uh, then I had brought with me my, my birth registration information because uh, one of the siblings wasn't too sure if this was the real deal. Is this, you know, maybe it's mm -hmm. a mistake. And uh, so she came in and I said, tell me the story of what do you know about what happened with me? And she said, all we remember, she was four years old at the time. She says, Your mom, our mom came back from Canada. She arrived by bus. She brought her new boyfriend with her and she brought in a newborn baby. And she said to uh, the sibling, here's your new little baby sister. Would you like to name her? And she said, I'm going to name her Clarissa, Clarissa Michelle. I said, oh, okay. I said, well, here's my birth registration. And on it, it said Clarissa Michelle. Oh. So, so what had happened was she brought me to Buffalo and assumed I was going to be staying there and growing up there. But the other kids, they were with grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa said, no, we can't do this anymore. And sent her away the next morning and went back to so she went back to Toronto with me and went back to the hospital and gave me up for adoption there so you yeah. weren't abandoned in a room you were you were given up and left at a hospital okay yeah and the and you weren't part of a grocery store or lettuce head either oh. <laughs> and the, the poor sibling the four-year-old she got up in the morning and said where's Clarissa where's my new baby sister and rather than them being honest and, you know, we, we try to protect kids, I guess. And we think by telling a little white lie, we're saving everybody a lot of pain, but instead they just said, what baby, there was no baby. Did you have a dream last night? Oh, and they wouldn't let as much as she said, I swear I saw a baby and I named her. They convinced her or tried to convince her her entire life. That it never happened. Wow. And it just led to so many problems for her. And, you know, and, and there were a couple of older siblings in the house. They, they grew up knowing I existed, but they just didn't know where I went. So after the grandmother passed away a number of years later, the grandfather, Ernest, a lot of Ernie's, there's an ah. Ernie, grandfather Ernest, there's a brother named Ernie, and the mother's name was Ernestine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, anyway, the grandfather, Ernest, came to Toronto. He was trying to track me down, but we had moved away from Toronto, moved to Oakville. Gotcha. On top of that, we didn't keep our Alhaga, our original German name anymore. My parents also changed that too, because the German last name was too complicated. So they changed our name from Alhaga, which would have been on the documents, to mm -hmm. Hannah, which is. Oh my gosh. He never would have found us and the uncanny part as well is that candace and i the other one that was given up for adoption are the only two out of the seven siblings that look like 
their mother. Really? Yeah, we are a spitting image of Ernestine. And it just freaks them all out. There's one of the one of the um, nephews, when he first met me, he just went, Nana? Oh. As I was the same age as what they remember their grandmother looking like. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, oh, and on top of it all, I was, I was cutting, before I connected with everybody, I was cutting uh, metal and doing some metal art. And so I wore these flame retardant coveralls that I bought secondhand from a place. And it had, you know, it comes with the old name badge on it. And my friend, after we, I, all this connection stuff started. So there was, I have a sibling named Ernie, a grandfather named Ernest, and a mother named Ernestine. And my friend, while I'm cutting metal, he goes, look at your coveralls. I said, what? What's the name on the badge? Ernie. No. Come on. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> That's too much. Yeah. Just a lot of weird stuff like that. Yes. So that's that's pretty much that that so so do you know who your father is or or do you, are you no, planning that, on looking for him? Um the I haven't really tried. Somebody said his nickname might have been Shorty or something, but mm -hmm. I don't know. Like the one brother, Demetrius, he's connected with his father, and it's not we're not related, but it was a good a good reunion for him. Um, I have reached out occasionally to through the DNA list of um, people that you could be related to. I would go to the. I'm assuming he's white. Mm -hmm. I'm just guessing. And uh, so I've gone to a few people lists where I said, hey, it looks like we uh, may be related. Would you care to share? And one lady, honestly, she wrote back and she said, you must be mistaken. I don't think this ancestry DNA thing is correct. This is impossible. So no, we're not related. Oh. And she didn't want to have any further conversation because Ooh. she could not believe that there could be any black people related to her. Oh. <laughs> so I kind of went, you know, I don't really care. I don't, I don't right. think I, you know, you don't need to put your time and effort into people like that. Yeah. If they don't want, if they don't want to know you, I don't, I don't, I have no reason to be engaged in learning about them either. So, mm -hmm. so I'm quite happy with the new family that I have now. And wow. it's like, so we never left. They just look at us like, we found you. All the pieces are back together. Everything's good. So they're in they're in Buffalo. Is that where they they're Some are in Buffalo and two are in so yeah. Wow. And it's we have conversations as though it's like we grew up together. How cool is that? I mean, that is a remarkable story. I mean, really. Yeah. I, and, I, and I can see how you could come up with quite the comedy routine through several of things yeah. that you have shared through here. Well, going back to what you shared, you mentioned about your son. It, is, is your son okay now? Uh, yes. Yeah, he, well, that was, that was another journey and a half because he came through all the cancer treatments and went into remission by the time he was 19. And then 
became very ill again, um, started having these uh, moments of really um, severe psychosis. And until one day he collapsed and we brought him to emerge to um, the ER. And they said, I hate to tell you this, friend, but he, he doesn't belong in ER. He, we have to bring him to the psychiatric hospital. This is something else. Oh. And so he has, uh, as soon as he got through the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and then was diagnosed with psychosis unspecified. And later um, it's uh, catatonic schizophrenia. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he is, he's 38. He, he managed to do well for a few years on medication. And then as they say, uh, the term is decompensated um, mm-hmm. for a few years. The, it was some healthcare challenges with the way our hospital system had changed. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't get him the help he needed fast enough. So he um, resides in a, uh, a assisted care. Mm. Um, it's a nice house. Like it's like a townhouse and he lives with yeah. a couple of other guys and, and there's a, um, a care person who comes in from 10 in the morning till 7.30. So they have a pretty good um, independent living, mm-hmm. but they're, so their medications monitor their activities and, you know, their, uh, their finances are taken care of and so that they can still have a pretty good quality of life. So good. Well, sorry to hear about that, but glad that he's in a place that's good. Um, one of the things I want to find out is what is uh, a piece of advice, a best piece of advice anyone has ever given you? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, why uh uh don't <laughs> i don't have to think about that don't don't run when you can walk don't walk when you can sit and don't sit when you can no don't how does it go let's back that up it's that line it's the nursing line it's don't don't run when you can walk don't walk when you can stand don't stand when you can sit down and don't sit down if you can lie down and have a rest basically look after mm. yourself don't, mm-hmm. don't do all this. Don't take all these actions for something that is not going to benefit you. Right. Just always look after yourself. That's awesome. Um, so during, you mentioned briefly, you know, when you were growing up that people were, would make fun of you or whatever. Uh, I take it a little step further. When you said during your life that you wanted to do different things, did you have people yuck your wows? And if, and if so, what did you do? How did you respond to those people? Oh my goodness. All the time, all the time. That's, I think human nature that Mm -hmm. whole, this is where the German side came in pretty good. I go, Oh, I recognize Schadenfreude when I see it or Schaden, sorry, Schadenfreude. I'm speaking backwards now. Uh, Schadenfreude, uh, happiness at other people's displeasure. Mm. happiness at other people's unhappiness and so it's a pretty common thing to have people try to undermine your effort and sometimes it's it's not done so much to hurt you but it's done to make them feel better to say well I can't have it why should you mm-hmm. and or they just don't understand it or they just you're just not in alignment with what they see their life being like or what 
they think your life should be like. Mm-hmm. When you, you grow up in a society that says you you go to school, you grow up, you go to college, get married, you have children, you get a house, you get a car, you know, that all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you do anything outside of that it's all <laughs> you're breaking the whole the cycle <laughs> yeah the universe is gonna just implode <laughs> now <laughs> so uh yeah constantly and so an example would be the way i paint is very colorful i don't know if i can my house is kind of messy still so there's one of my paintings up there oh my gosh that's gorgeous so I always paint with really bright colors and you see I, even the wall yes. color. Yes. And sometimes I get a little lazy. I run out of yellow paint. So I'll just <laughs> have another yellow paint that doesn't match. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, well, it's yellowish. <laughs> exactly. It's in the same spectrum. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, so I'm always doing wackadoodle stuff like that. And then, so that came about from somebody saying to me, why can't you just paint like landscapes and wolves and ducks or something like use, can you do something in muted tones natural colors <laughs> oh yeah so when that was said to me well that makes me do the opposite mm-hmm. so then it got brighter and louder and i did it i was mad i thought i'll show you well those would just sell like crazy <laughs> <laughs> And it just goes to show that if you really just throw yourself into something that you really want to do and you really enjoy it, it's going to, it's going to pay off. It's going to pan out Mm -hmm. and it may come from a direction you least expect it. So that's great. uh, Like one of the other things I'll have to show you, this is how my mind works. So I have a thermostat on the wall that whoever put it in there originally didn't put a wire in long enough that you could actually move it to a location that makes sense Uh right in the middle of the wall where you can't hang anything near it nothing fits so I'm like I'm so fed up with this thing this white (laughs) thing stuck right in the the middle of the wall so uh I painted a tree oh my gosh that is gorgeous though oh there it is right there the thermostat Oh, it blended right in. I didn't even notice it at first. That is very awesome, though. That's where I go. I'm just going to do what people would, normal people would, they'd hire somebody to come in and fix the wire, but I'm like, I'm paint over it. Exactly. Good for you. And, and once again, that goes from people yucking your wows, like I'm going to show you, you know, especially if, if you're, if you're that passionate about it, yes, pursue it and continue on with it because you never know where it's going to lead. And that obviously is very true for you. And, and not, not to be, there's going to be a, a level of fear in anything you do, but that also helps you be also somewhat cautious. So you yes. don't completely throw yourself off a cliff. That's right. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. So what are you currently passionate about personally and professionally? Um, professionally, I really, I, I enjoy the work that I'm in. I, I do, the job that I do is so, it, I want to say it's not creative, but it, in a sense it is because mm. previous to the economic development uh, work, 
I worked as a freight forwarder and custom broker. So you're moving large cargo, air freight, sea freight mm-hmm. stuff. And people are like, oh, how boring is that? Well, you're always problem solving. You're always trying to figure out how do I get this from point A to point B and, you know, and not have it fall off the boat. And, you know, somebody calls you with a situation, they have to get it somewhere in a big hurry and they don't know anything about the process. That kind of stuff is fun for me. Mm-hmm. And because it's, it's part of my life. I've been a single mom for so long. I was always trying to, you're always trying to figure something out. Right. You blow up a water pump in the basement and it might be two in the morning and you can't call anybody. So mm-hmm. you gotta what be are you going to do? You got to be resourceful. I mm-hmm. use you. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that a nice resource? <laughs> what does this wire do? Oh, that's the one. <laughs> that's very bad. Bad. <laughs> That doesn't work. We won't do that again. Um, so that's that. That's what I enjoy with my professional life, and same with that economic development side, where you're you're being a service to um, business owners and and um, different people in the community, where you're trying to help resolve problems there mm-hmm. too. You're trying to make things fit so your community runs well. So Excellent. I like that. And my my personal life, what I'm passionate about. Again, it's the, the art stuff and discovering new things. And uh, I'm kind of like your, your other guest, Brenda. It's uh, where, what, where can I go next? Where's that plane headed? And how do mm-hmm. I get on? And, yeah. and I, I, I think I got tired of that bug from her mm-hmm. uh, where she, <laughs> I'm going to tell another quick, short little story. Um, she likes to travel alone and I I didn't quite grasp the idea for a while you think everybody you know they go with in pairs or with families or well I have never been in a relationship long enough to go on a trip with them they're usually (laughs) the picture before the the flight leaves so um I had been seeing a gentleman who he said we're gonna go on a trip to Cuba and I said oh I've never I've never gone on a trip with a man before other than my son wouldn't that be exciting? Kind of romantic. Well, 48 hours before the flight was to leave, he called me and he said, I have the flu. We're not going. Oh, I I beg your pardon. I took time off and I was so looking forward to it. I've never been to Cuba and this is all kind of exciting. And he goes, no, we're not going. And I said, what do you mean? We, (laughs) (laughs) you're the one who's sick, not me. And he said, you're not actually thinking of just going anyway we were supposed to go together and I said yeah but you can't go and I'm not going to hang around you you're sick so uh-huh so he said oh no you can't do that if you go then we're done well how am I with paint and color <laughs> you tell me <laughs> I can't do something watch me yeah uh, oh should I or shouldn't I or what am I doing you start wondering what you should do and I spoke with Brenda and I said this is what he said. I can't believe that she said, pack your bags and go. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. <laughs> you know, sometimes you need that friend who can give you that extra little push. Yes. Listen, I mean, she's done it. She survived. I'm like, I can do this. So five o'clock in the morning, I got up. I'm like, yeah, I'm going. And I threw all this stuff in my bag. And I went out the door and I drove down to Toronto and got on the flight. I'd never gone anywhere by myself. Wow. Let alone, let alone go to go to Cuba and go to some I'd never been to a resort. 
And uh, when I landed in Manzanillo, I think that's where I was. Yeah. And I had no idea what the process is. You get a little envelope and you look for your boss and no idea. And these elderly ladies, they said, oh, where's your other significant other? And I said, you just, that's me. And <laughs> me, so, myself and I. They guided me along. They showed me where my bus was. And then a couple of them said, she's not here with anybody. And they were all in their 60s and 70s. And they go, well, that will not do. You're not leaving our side. And they pulled out this big garbage bag full of beer. <laughs> Cans of gave me beer we get to the resort they're pushing me along okay you got to go to this desk and you got to this way to this room and and uh they never let me spend five minutes alone which oh is my the gosh what i that's what i learned about when you travel alone you're never alone mm -hmm. think oh my god how am i going to do this for two weeks there's going to be somebody that connects with you and uh turns out the one of the ladies she said, where do you work? And I told her the name of the company I work for. And uh, she goes, um, she was from Niagara Falls or St. Catherine. I said, well, I have one of my managers is in um, Fort Erie. That's where it was. And she said, I worked for that same company and I worked at Fort Erie and your manager and I play bingo together. <laughs> oh my gosh, made a connection weird weird world so that was my my first experience going alone so then that I got I was bitten by the bug mm -hmm. and uh I decided I'm gonna go to to Mexico and I'm gonna try that one alone but no resort because I didn't really like the resort thing and of course everybody's like you can't do that you can't that's so scary you're gonna get wrong they're yucking your wow yeah and I went too bad I have my plane ticket I'm leaving <laughs> And uh, I was the biggest dummy getting there. I didn't know what I was doing. I learned about a lot of scams because I got scammed a lot. So mm. how you learn. Mm -hmm. I, as soon as I left the, tried to leave the airport, I got, you know, corralled by timeshare people. Oh, yes. And then I clued in. I went, oh, that's what they're doing. Oh, they said, you know, we'll get you a taxi. It'll be really cheap to where you're going, which was a two and a half hour drive up the highway. Uh, we'll get you a really good deal. Just make sure you meet us at the timeshare. That's their big thing. I'm like, okay. So they were, it was only $40 to go two and a half hours by taxi. Mm -hmm. I knew that was a steal because they wanted me to go see the timeshare. I hope none of them are listening because I got to my town, found my little motel hotel that I was staying and then conveniently threw away the number from the timeshare people. <laughs> I never went to see the timeshare. I was like, thank you for the deal. Mm -hmm. but, uh, again, I was there maybe 15 minutes and there was another couple that said, oh no, you can't, you can't be here. <laughs> so everywhere you go, that's just how it is. So it just becomes easier. You don't have to look after anybody else. You can you do know. what you want to do on your time. Yeah. And if they don't, you don't have to deal with people who go oh do we have to eat that do we have to do this here do we have to go to that location <laughs> you just if you want to spend a day and you just want to sleep all day then you sleep all day. you can do that too so what would you say is your purpose passionately personally and professionally hmm. i think 
I find I am a can maybe I'm more of a connector mm -hmm. that I when I meet people and they say I'm looking to do such and such or I'm you know I I don't I need to find somebody who knows how to do ABC I seem to be able to connect people that way great um, and to encourage them to do things outside of their comfort zone so you're an encourager uh yeah yeah definitely i get very excited about other people's ventures more than my own mm -hmm. and uh they say i'm gonna try this for business and i'd be like right on and you can do this and you can have a donkey in the middle of the restaurant it'll be fabulous and <laughs> whatever <laughs> and i wish i had the same enthusiasm for my own stuff but <laughs> We're always we're always better doing that with other people, though. I mean, yeah. I understand that. Well, a, a great example is um, there's a, a lady who teaches belly dance in Southern Ontario and and drumming, and she just posted on Facebook, "Hey, I'm going to Colombia, and I'm looking for a place to stay in Cartagena. Does anybody know anybody, or can anybody recommend an Airbnb?" Well, it turns out here where I live, there's a couple that I know that own a apartment there oh so message them i said hey do you have room they said well we're actually in the apartment this week we're here on holiday so i explained i said well her name is rula and this is what she's looking for and they go yeah we've got room connect us so they did and she went and she stayed with them for two weeks i think yeah. oh my god never met them before <laughs> down in Cartagena. <laughs> wow so just she didn't know, like, they didn't know each other. I thought that was amazing. And they were willing to, to take that leap. So you see yourself as being a, with that purpose, uh, being a connector personally and professionally then. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to find ways to help people accomplish tasks. and. Excellent. Like, yeah. So what would you say is your superpower? Ooh. Oh, I mean, a connector is a superpower, but can yeah. you think of something else that you, that is your 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 I think, superpower? I think my well, my superpower could be that I always know that no no matter how awful things can be in a certain given situation, that I know deep down inside it's not forever. That something. Mm -hmm something will change, something good will happen. And there's a learning experience out of whatever I'm going through. And I also know that even in the depths of despair, like for example, when my son was diagnosed with these different medical disasters and crises, at the time I went, you know, at first you go, why me? And why is this happening? And let the earth just swallow me up because mm -hmm. I believe this is happening. I learned from that, that it was an opportunity for me to gain enough knowledge out of that crisis that I can help the next person who faces it. Mm -hmm. And to have even at one point, there was a nurse who called me from the hospital a number of years later. And she said, I'm calling you because I don't know. My son is the same thing, a similar illness, and I don't know how to navigate the mental health system, which I'm sure is the similar issue in any, you know, right. Canada. Because I don't know what to do or where to start. And I could walk her through it, even though she worked in the medical industry. She said, I'm not in that part of the industry. And she said, I heard through the grapevine 
that you know everybody to talk to to get something done. Wow. What a, what a compliment to you. And it was just, so that's why I go, okay, if you've, you know, you fall on your face and you break your nose and you have to go see a surgeon, that's so six months later when somebody else does it, you can recommend a good surgeon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have I got someone for you? <laughs> Fix that. <laughs> way to solve that <laughs> so Fran how would you say that you're living your best dash oh uh do you have to do a lot of editing here <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if they were if someone were to describe me Years from now, if I'm long gone, they'll say, you know what, she approached stuff with this creative vigor and humor and could find herself in these precarious and ridiculous situations and laugh her whole way through it. There'd be a few tears here and there, but ultimately it would be, wasn't that just the funniest thing that happened? Can you believe this? And you just move on to the next day. And, and that is how, I, I mean, just from sharing this time with you, I can definitely tell that that has been a theme and a thread throughout your entire life mm -hmm. and will continue forward. And I mean, wow, that's, that's a remarkable dash. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yes. It's fabulous. It's a mixture of, of, of everything and you just keep moving forward. And that's the most important part of it. I was, I was, you know, the line where they say everything happens for a reason. Mm -hmm. I am a true believer in that statement that everything really does have, a, uh, everything happens for a reason. There's a purpose for every experience. You just have to be patient and figure out what, what did you learn from it? And mm -hmm. it's not always on our timeline, is it? Yeah, we can't control everything, but mm -hmm. we can like this common saying, we can't control what happens to us. We can just control how we react to it. Amen. Yes, most definitely. Um, are there any final thoughts or words of wisdom that you would like to share with our audience? Don't be afraid to stick your toe in the water mm -hmm. and, and try something. To, you know, if somebody has always said to you, that's not possible and it's not for you, then maybe try it anyway uh I have a, oh I have one more there's another short story good the way I grew up and the German household was very traditional where the father worked and the mother you know stayed home and looked after the kids well she did and she did and she she had a job at a cafeteria and whatever but her mindset was you grow up you get married even to the point of you don't need to learn how to drive. Women don't drive. Mm. And my brothers got a trade. Um, one was a truck driver. The other joined the military. And, and also my father took my one older brother to work with him when he was um, in middle school because he didn't feel he was learning enough in the middle school. That, those were the days in the 60s. Mm -hmm you could get away with that he's not i'm taking him to to the factory when he's going to learn mathematics and how to read a blueprint <laughs> he was just so upset with the school system that he thought my 
brother was illiterate and he was having none of it. Mm. So he, he took him with him to the plant and trained him how, how to do anything and everything. You need to learn how to weld and read a blueprint and do your math and all that sort of stuff and be on time and follow the schedule. All those, all those key elements of, of um, life. And when it was my turn, I said, so when do I get to go to the factory? And they were like, no, no, girls don't do that. Mm -hmm. And my mother, that was absolutely, no, 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 you'll never do that. I'd watch my dad in the shop if he was welding. I thought it was just so cool. And he's, yeah, yeah, women, no, you don't, no welding for you. And, but this was on the farm and he'd go, but here, take this gun and go shoot that coyote. (laughs) Chasing the cows, go get it. So, but I, he did give me a dirt bike. I have to give him that. He did let me ride it. Uh, he's like, when my one brother went off to the military, he left behind a, a little mini bike, that little, was it a 75 CC? It wasn't very big. Mm-hmm. And, he, and my father said, if you can pick it up off the ground, then you can ride it. He was strong enough to ride it. And mm-hmm. so I picked it up off the ground. Like, like if it falls over, if you're able to stand it back up. Yes not like lifted like Hercules. So, yeah. So, uh, um, he said, okay, you are clearly you're strong enough to be able to ride the, the mini bike. Now I'll show you how to change the fuel filter and, you know, do the general maintenance and do the oil change. And that's as far as it went, but driving cars and all that. No, no, you just grow up and you get married and the man does everything. So after they passed away and I'd gone through all these different things with Matt and you know, and then I ended up going back to work and, and then I got bored with my job and I quit my job and I went back to school and I took machining and welding. I'm like, I want to know what the big deal is, why women shouldn't be doing this. So, and I was in my forties when I did that. Good for you. I realized I hated it. <laughs> like, this sucks. My nails are dirty. <laughs> This is not what I thought it was going to be. No, I don't like this. You're in the dark room all the time with a shield over your head. This is stupid. Whose idea was, why is this such a big man secret? Because it really sucks. So I went back and got an office job. <laughs> but I know how to do it now. So. Oh my God. But, but, part, but part of that though, welding and stuff is part of your, your artwork, isn't it? Yeah. So see, I got something out of it. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do it for a, a living, like welding bridges and crates and stuff. Yeah, no, that's, mm-hmm. I do. I cannot imagine what people are going through, especially in this, this weather with this heat. Oh. Having to do that kind of job. Yes. It's, and, and I learned quickly too, that their life expectancy shortens dramatically when you do that work because of the fumes and oh yeah you're more likely to get brain cancer lung cancer you can vent that smoke and stuff as much as you want but you're you're gonna you're probably gonna get sick by the time you're in your 50s but see at least your your curiosity stayed with you and you were willing to find out what was the big secret what was the big deal that went along with that so i mean there was one time I was learning how to use the lathe, the big engine lathe, where you can shape like a mm-hmm. tool. And I had put the tooling in incorrectly and I broke the tool and I broke a pin in the machine. And it was a loud, like a loud explosive bang when that happened. 
And all the other guys in the shop, they jumped and screamed. And I just stood there and went, oh, I broke something. And I turned it off. And the instructor, he looks at the guys, they go, he goes, you guys just screamed. And she stood there and shut off the machine. Who do you think is going to be better at the job? Exactly. You stayed level-headed through the whole thing. I'm like, there are worse things. It's just a pin. And so, and he goes, well, what'd you learn from that? I said, not to put my tooling in that way. And he said, and now you're going to learn how to fix it. So, so there was another additional lesson for that, but you know, you learn it's all, from- and that's a part of life, isn't it? When something breaks, what do you need to do to fix it and keep yeah. moving? And that ultimately is what we're talking about right here. You've had these challenges throughout your life and through every single challenge, you've met it head on, you've learned the lesson, and then you continued forward. So congratulations to you, Fran, for doing that. Thank you. That's amazing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I cannot believe how quickly the time has gone during our interview together. I cannot thank you enough, Fran, for being here today and getting to meet you. It's so nice to have taken hearing the stories from Brenda and hearing them straight from you. Uh, it, it, what, what a joy and a pleasure to have you on my podcast. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's, it's been really great. Excellent. Well, for those of you out there listening, oh, I should also ask, Fran, if anyone wants to uh, reach out, especially I can see where someone might want to make contact with you uh, when it comes to adoption and the ancestry thing and, you know, kind of things you've gone through. Is there a way that people could connect with you or find out more about you or even if they are interested in your artwork? Is there some way that they could connect with you or you would like for them to connect with you? Um, Thank you can find me on Facebook okay. and they, they can private message me if they want. I have a website. It's franhanovermultimediaartist.com. And we'll make sure we'll put that in the description for this podcast. So that way, that's another way that you can reach out to Fran. So the other way they can connect with me if they're asking about adoption is they can spit in the tube and we might be related. <laughs> and see it in the more than likely it's sounding like they're oh, I have another connected. sibling imagine that I did 23 of me but that doesn't connect with ancestry so maybe I need to spit in the tube and who knows maybe you and I there is a I'm sure there's a connection somewhere <laughs> along the line you never that's know a, yeah <laughs> that's a good one all right. For those of you listening, remember to uh, to when you go to it, follow, subscribe to uh, Rediscovering Your Passion and Purpose with Patty. And while you're at it, if you'd like to do a five star rating, that would be even better. So that way that the content that I'm able to present to you continues to stay at the highest rating possible. And while you're at it, please share this podcast with your family and friends. The more the merrier, as they say. And if you would like to connect with me, remember that you can go to my website, www.pathwayswithpatty.org. And if you want to chat with me, sign up for a free 30-minute chat when you get to my website, and we will go from there. And especially if you'd like to be a guest on the show, I would love to talk with you and have you share your story about your passion and purpose as well. So until we meet again, remember to keep living your best dash because life's an adventure and you should be enjoying the journey because your life matters. Thank you for joining us today and may God bless you all.